on, guys? Welcome to another episode of the Phil Krause Survival Podcast. It's been a while. That's cool, but it's been a while, and I feel like I need to get back to the Phil Krause Survival Podcast. You guys heard the last podcast I did with Kevin Estella was the pre-72 hour Ziploc Survival Challenge. This is the post. This is like after he suffered, and and the coolest thing about this whole entire podcast and experience is. One, we get to talk about the lessons learned, but I give him his new mission, which I'll save that for the very end. Uh, he wasn't too happy with it, but I, I think pushing the guys and now the gal you'll you'll hear is super beneficial for everything survival because we're just learning as we go and we get to hand all that good information to you. Before we get started, I want to go ahead and talk about our sponsors. Listen, one thing I want you to understand is that our sponsors that are partnered with Phil Craft Survival are companies that we believe in. We wouldn't be pushing anything and we want to give you that benefit in that discount or that incentive for the same companies that we support, that we use here at Philcraft Survival. The first one is the Anthem Snacks. So Anthem makes the best beef jerky on the planet. The beef jerky that we sell downstairs, the honey is my favorite, but that beef jerky um, is downstairs in our retail space. And you guys can go online and use Philcraft 10 at anthemsnacks.com um, and save 10% off your next order. It's also run by a Green Beret, which is kind of cool. A special for, former Special Forces teammate of mine runs that company up in Montana. And make sure you hit up anthemsnacks.com. Use Philcraft10 to save 10%. Also, this podcast is sponsored by Triarch Systems. Look, we've been working with Triarch since the very beginning of Philcraft's survival. I use their Glock 17 Charlie on the range every gunfighter pistol. And I have their carbine, which is my truck gun. And I, I stand by it. I got thousands of rounds to these guns and they're the best guns I've ever used. The Glock 17 Charlie is a custom gun. They specialize in custom pistols, carbines, and rifles. And you can use Phil Craft One Word to save 5% off any build. Again, Phil Craft One Word to save 5% off on any build. Also, this podcast is sponsored by our good buddies at Kafaru.com net kafaru.net so i worked with uh, kafaru early on with aaron snyder when i first started philcraft we started working on a bag together that never came to fruition because of the position that aaron snyder was in and now he runs the company we're actually looking at building some things together and i use kafaru this northern idaho hunt that i got planned for september where i plan to bag a big large bull elk with a bow um big shout out to mark warnicky um he's he's guiding me on that um if you go to kafaro.net, you guys can save by getting the best equipment and gear in the industry. Big fans of top quality gear that's made here in America. And you guys could save by going to kafaro.net. Again, one of my favorite hunting companies. Guys, here we go. We're going to kick this off. This is the podcast post 72 hour Ziploc challenge with Kevin Estella. Here we go. Kevin Estella. Michael Glover. Welcome home, man. Thank you so much. Um, Thank you. You made it. Um, <laughs> if you can hear the background noise, there's a whole bunch of people in the background because they're celebrating the return of Kevin Estella making the 72-hour challenge. If you're listening to this on um, Instagram, you're on a live, we're, but we're doing the Philcraft Survival Podcast, part two of Kevin Estella making it home and the after-action review of, of how things went, which is cool because you get to see all the stuff that... Um, uh, he brought out and then returned home with and then the AER. So what's your overall feeling right now? How do you feel right now? I feel phenomenal. Uh, you look well rested. I, I really I really am. Uh, I You know, people laugh when I tell them I actually sleep better 
outdoors than I do indoors. And I really slept well on this challenge. I mean, with the exception of uh, the occasional, you know, bug or two flying on my face in the middle of the night, like swatting it off. Um, I slept well. It was gorgeous out there. There was no terrible weather. Uh, the last day there was a little bit of wind, which destroyed the, the emergency blanket I use as a shelter. Um, but overall, I mean, it was just a great experience. It's one of those things where you realize how very little you need to get by and it makes you appreciate all the things that you normally carry in your rucksack or your, your loadout bag or whatever it may be. Um, so it was just phenomenal, like just to get reconnected to the the great outdoors without sounding too much like a hippie, you know? Yeah. Well, I, I will tell you this. I was envious. I am envious of your experience because I know, you know, you understand this whole process that takes place when you go out into the outdoors mm-hmm. and you're actually in an off grid remote kind of circumstance. And when you come out of that, it's almost like uh, I make the analogy of pulling out the Nintendo cartridge and blowing all the dust (laughs) out and then reinserting it. And then the game's ready to to get it on. Um, Do you feel uh, like restored? It feels like a reset. It it absolutely feels like a reset, a good hard reset, hard, you know, power off, power back on. Um, When you're out there, you have a lot of time to yourself. You have a lot of time to think, a lot of time to reflect on on your life, right? I mean, because there, there's so much downtime and in the hottest part of the day, especially in the desert where you're trying to conserve all your energy, you just have so much time to just think and, and be thankful for this and thankful for that. And it's like, you know what? I'm thankful that I have a, a cheap emergency shelter over my head than no shelter at all, right? Um, and it just makes you reevaluate the importance of the different things in your life. Um, you know, it's so easy to get distracted with our phones. So easy to get distracted with constant emails, constant nagging from, you know, this person or that person, when you're out there all by your own or all on your own, you, uh, you, you kind of realize like, okay, with all that stuff, just push, push aside, you know, with like, put a, like a cloth over it. Um, what's left, like what's left behind when you chip away all those pieces and you realize like, okay, am I, capable? How do I feel emotionally? How do I feel spiritually? Like it, it's very, very cathartic. That's the only way I can describe it. It's, it's a cleansing. Is, um, is it nice to get away from all the distractions that are in our modern world? Cause I, you know, I'm, I'm obviously, um, I'm doing marketing, I'm doing business stuff. Mm. So I'm inundated like you are with technology. And when you were out there with technology, it was about your specific experience. Correct. So very different than being consumed with everything technological. Right, and also I didn't I didn't bring a flashlight. I mean, I had a, a, a flashlight on my pistol, but I didn't use it at night. And to have to go with the rhythm of the environment as opposed to like going against the rhythm, it, it just feels good. Um, you kind of get in sync with things. You kind of learn to predict what's around you. Every morning I would be woken up at 5.30, 5.45 by these doves that would land about like five or 10 feet away from me. And they had no idea that I was there until I rustled my bag, uh, you know, this emergency bivy sack. And then I would hear like like a John Woo movie. I'd hear like four or five doves just fly out of nowhere. Um, so it just felt great to not have any synthetic noises like beeping and announcements and, and notifications and to wake up when the sun came up to you know, to get out of, out of my shelter when I heard those doves fly away. Cause they, they noticed that I was there. Um, so yeah, that, that felt pretty damn good. My, my, um, my only goal mm-hmm. with even running a company and trying to be successful and all this stuff that we're doing is, is to get to a point where I'm living that life. Mm-hmm. And, and, you know, back in the day, uh, that was a staple and kind of foundationally what life was. 
but now you have to earn it. Like now, if you want to buy land, if you want right. to live off grid, you, it's not as easy as going, well, I've, I have nothing left, so that's my circumstance. You actually have to come out of pocket. You mm-hmm. have to be very financially secure. Um, it's almost impossible to find land and to live that remote life. You actually have to be successful. So yeah. it's like you're, you're, it's almost the opposite of what um, primarily we've been evolved into because now we have to work in this technological and, and capitalistic world in order to earn those benefits mm-hmm. of getting back to where we were. Yeah, it's, we've come a long way since the Homestead Act. I mean, you think about it, the government used to give away land if you were willing to live on it. I mean, if the government offered me that today in Alaska or oh anywhere, I would, I'd jump on it right now. Right now. Um, and it's funny, we, we spend a lot of money to rough it in this country, right? Like if you wanna live on a homestead, if you wanna live in that remote cabin, you have to spend a lot of money to buy that cabin only to live very a, a difficult life where you can't have all the conveniences uh, or you chances are you won't have all the conveniences of, uh, of a house that's on grid. Yeah. So uh, yeah, I, I, just, I think it's a, a weird relationship, but. Yeah, I guess the, it's the way that, that it is mm-hmm. now. So let's talk about the equipment that you brought you out. Got it. Yeah, you brought out um, the Ziploc bag in front of you. Yes. Um, for for listeners and then for people on IG, let's talk a little bit about what you brought. Okay. Um, and I think the easiest way to talk about it is to just kind of dive into it. What I what I have that I took from the field. There are some things that I I just threw out, like uh, stuff that got used up. But um, the primary shelter was just a North American Rescue emergency blanket. This thing held up surprisingly, surprisingly well. Even in the high winds for two days, it was getting pounded and it was in the direct sunlight. And for a temporary sun structure to provide shade, worked like a charm. Uh, probably the best $6 you can spend at Fieldcraft Survival right now is yeah, get one of these, sure. th- get multiple and throw them in different places because. I mean, it didn't rain, but you can use these for collecting water. I used it for blocking the wind, blocking the sun. That was phenomenal. Um, I carried a small <clears throat> emergency bivy, and it never packs up on the way out as small it does <laughs> on, the, on the way back in. So that's why they give you this two times as large bag. But I mean, I used that only for like a couple hours in the middle of the night uh, when it got a little bit cooler. And again, I just needed to block the wind. But overall, I was sleeping on the ground with just the clothes. I had two shirts on, a recce shirt and a uh, and a long sleeve shirt. That was primary my shelter, um, primarily my shelter. The knife that I carried out there, I, I carried two. Um, one was a Swiss Army knife farmer, which is nothing more than just like a, a small folding knife with a saw. And then I carried a, a knife that was uh, given to me by the guys over at Blade HQ. It's called the Azula. Uh, we carry SE knives downstairs in our store. So I use this one uh, for building like the, the bedding that I slept on. Um, and then other kit that I carried out there, I had like 12 feet of paracord. Um, I made my bird trap with that. I carried a, f- a couple fire starters, like a mini BIC, um, an Exotac Nano Striker. Uh, I carried a bunch of these Kafaru supplements which a lot of people were like, why are you carrying vitamins out into the field? But I really think this was the secret to the success was having vitamins that I could take in the morning. Um, I had electrolyte tablets that I could take midday after I sweat a whole bunch. And then at night I took the, the Wolf 21 sleep supplements, which people underestimate the importance of, of sleep. And that's the time where your body is regenerating. Your body is resting. You're getting that reset again. And I slept seven and a half to eight hours each night. I mean, this is with things crawling on me. Um, I slept so well with that. Um, I mean, in addition to that, uh, I carried a, 
Um, I left it downstairs, but I carried a Fieldcraft Survival uh, collapsible water bladder, a couple of Reynolds oven bags, <clears throat> uh, Aqua tabs, which are water purification tablets, um, a bunch of other little things like fishing equipment, and pretty much everything got used. What, um, what was your what was your favorite? Uh, not favorite. Mm-hmm. What is your most um, utilitarian piece of equipment that was the most beneficial? Oh, the water bladder. Uh, that it. I marked off 24 ounces. It probably could hold 30 ounces if you added, if you filled it to the brim. Um, but I marked it off for 24 ounces. This is just our blivet, our roll up. Yeah, that's it. Uh. That's it. Um, I carried that thing with me everywhere and I made a reservoir of water. I I made like, uh, probably two gallons of water, like a emergency store of it in Reynolds oven bags that I kept near the shelter, but I was taking trips. It was about a half mile round trip, uh, back and forth to the Creek to get the water. And I carried that thing with me everywhere. And it, it got to the point, especially on the last day where I noticed that my, my urine was like, uh, citrus cooler, Gatorade, citrus cooler colored. (laughs) And I was like, I gotta, I gotta hydrate. So I spent like two hours just treating water, drinking water, treating water, drinking water. And wait, cause what was the average temperature for those three days? Uh, 99 was the high. Well, I'm sorry. 99 was the high on day one, 102 and 104. Wow. Yeah, it was, it was, it was, it was a nut punch. So, so in, in this survival game, like part, you know, people, people get weirded out when they're like, well, he's just sleeping. Like that's what you do. Yeah. He's just conserving energy. Like, yeah, when you don't have a destination in mind, and even if you did, conservation is king. Yeah. And in <clears throat> this situation, staying hydrated mm-hmm. was king. Did you ever feel like, um, besides seeing that you were potentially yeah. dehydrated, did you feel it? There were a couple times just walking, right? Just walking, breathing in that hot air. I would stand up quickly and I would be like, oh my gosh, like I felt drunk. Um, a lot of people think, when it comes to heat loss, that it only goes one direction, right? Like you can get cold from conduction, from sitting on something cold. You can get cold from the wind blowing, right? Convection. Well, you can get hot the same way. You can get hot from sitting on something hot. You can get hot from breathing in hot air. And I mean, if our bodies are 98.6 degrees and it's 104 and I'm breathing this in, I mean, it hurt to breathe. Wow. Um, so yeah, there was a lot of like- You spent a lot of time in the shade, I saw. Oh my God. The From 10.30 in the morning till 2.30, I tried not to get out. Didn't help when Austin and Julian were like, oh yeah, you know, we want to film this section right now. I'm like, oh God. You know, and I get it. Like it's, it's good timing for the filming, but you know, deep down in me, I was like- damn it, I got to go out in the sun right now. Like, I know, brutal. It, it makes sense why so many people in Latin America take siestas. I totally yeah. get it. Yeah. Hey, what's going on, guys? This is The Mid-Roll. We are sponsored by Manscaped. Hey, we threw in two free gifts and they're a perfect package, a pair of high-performance Manscaped boxer briefs that will keep your junk feeling fresh all day. Yes, I said that out loud. And a travel shed bag to store all your grooming goodies. Trim that junk of yours and get 20% off free shipping with the code Philcraft at manscaped.com. Listen, you get 20% off and free shipping. All you have to do is go to Philcraft at manscaped.com and that 20% off gets you free shipping at manscaped.com. I'll say that again. Use the code Philcraft at manscaped.com and get that 20% off. Unlock your confidence and always use the right tools for the job with Manscaped. All right, guys, back to the podcast. Um, when you, uh, people were asking on, on Instagram about Reynolds oven bags. Yes. Explain, yeah. explain that. Uh, this is something that uh, 
at the Wilderness Learning Center where I first started teaching, uh, we used for our emergency water bladders. Many times you'll hear in survival books, oh, carry an unlubricated condom to collect water. Well, unless you have a big body of water that you can like vigorously move the condom through, or you have a deluge of water that'll expand it like your high school health class, a condom is a horrible, horrible water container. And especially like you're taught, never carry the thing in your wallet. But we all have that one friend from high school that has like that dusty, like janky ass condom in their, their wallet. Well, what is a better, what is a better solution is something that is meant for high heat and meant to retain its integrity in that high heat. And that's a Reynolds oven bag. So these little Reynolds oven bags, super thin. And when you open it up, it opens up to hold. I mean, I put two gallons of water in there easily. I probably could hold four. Yeah. Um, and I doubled it up because one is none, two is one. And uh, it just kept it as a reservoir, just like as a an emer- emergency backup. Yeah. Um, Don't I dug- use that as a condom, by the way. Yeah. In if, reverse. If, but I'll tell you, if you can, you're better man than me. Right. Um, so yeah, uh, the Reynolds oven bag was, was legit. Um, Mm. and what I did was I dug a small hole in the ground to support the sides, uh, sides of it. And I used a piece of my cordage to, uh, keep the opening closed. And then I had a piece of, uh, or a small length of tubing. And I just had that down in the bottom and I could just sit in my tent and and drink water, uh, in the shade. I didn't have to go out and, and, deal with the high heat. Yeah. Let's talk about food because yeah. like I, you, you went in thin cause you were fasting. Yeah. Um, and, and this is even more before you knew that you were doing this, you were just doing keto. Yeah. Um, and so high levels of energy and ketosis and you don't have a dependency or a craving Correct. for food. So you were past that window, which is an advantage obviously of ketogenics. Yeah. Um, but what was your staple and what was your, uh, primary diet, your means of nutrition? Well, I'm a firm believer that you can get a lot of nutrition right off the land and you don't have to hunt or fish for it. Um, There's a reason why it's called hunting and fishing and not killing because hunting and fishing implies that there's a chance that you're not going to be successful. Well, when it came to getting food off the land, there was uh, mullen, right? Mullen is known as a medicinal plant, but a lot of people don't realize you can eat the, the final eight to 12 inches of the stalk, if you remove the flowers off, it kind of tastes like asparagus. I found uh, uh, golden currants out there. So the beautiful little berries, uh, traditionally they were used in making pemmican and you can make jams and jellies out of them and they're good to eat, whether you eat them raw, you you cook them. So I had handfuls of those. Um, On top of that, everything that you could probably find in your front yard right now in your lawn, consider it a weed, it's actually an edible. So dandelion, I was eating eating dandelion, great uh, bitter. Um, I had plantain, which is very much like spinach. I had different clovers and I would just pick as as I went. So it wasn't like I was trying to do like three square meals a day. It was grazing along the way. And that was way more sustainable than trying to, you know, collect a, a massive meal all at once. What about the fish? Because I know. Yeah. So one, how did you catch the fish? And then two, um, I'm assuming even at this point, which you caught a fish pretty early as far as I saw, mm-hmm. it still was very much so substance yes. where you were like, ooh, and I'm sure that thing tasted oh amazing. Oh, my God. Right. Um, <clears throat> so we have a local fly shop here in Heber called uh, Fish Heads. I went in there before. Great, the, great shop, by the way. Oh, they're solid yeah, dudes. And they're like the only shop in Heber, which is yeah. surprising since this yeah. is Provo. And it's honestly like a legit fly shop, right? It's not one of these that 
does like mountain bikes, a little bit of fly fishing, some rock climbing, like yeah. they're, they're a one trick pony fly fishing. So I go in there and I'm like, Hey, I'm doing this survival challenge. I need some flies. And the guy's like, okay. Like he did, he didn't even question it. Um, and he gave me a selection of flies that I could use out there. And <clears throat> what I did was I had 50 pound spider wire, which is a braided fishing line. It's the best stuff you can get for survival fishing kits. To that, I had a, a the bear. test is fifty pounds. Oh yeah! Oh like, wow! There's so you use it for a whole bunch of things. Oh obviously. my god! If you if you catch something that will break that line, like you deserve to not be in a survival scenario. You should deserve to put that thing on a wall and you know be heralded by everyone out there. Well, I used that as my main line. I used a small snap swivel uh, to connect that to a tippet, and then I put the tippet to the fly, and I cut a long, long, probably eight foot long. Uh, narrow leaf willow when I was out there and I used a little bit of the snare wire to create two fishing line guides and I would use it like a tenkara rod and I would actually be able to cast out. I spent the first night that I was there probably three hours fishing and I caught one fish that was tiny. Mm. The second day, uh, Julian came out to film. He's like, hey, let's do some fishing content. I caught the second one, which was slightly bigger and he got that one on film and I didn't realize it until later in the day that many of the fish hooks that they gave me from that fish head shop were barbless. That right there was a consideration. I was like, man, if I could do this all over again, I would have gotten barbed hooks because yeah. I had a couple bites that I, I lost. Chances are because they were barbless. Yeah, because you know, in in this area, and you know, this is fly fishing culture, right? There's a yeah. whole bunch of people who fish for catch and release, and they think barbed um, hooks are uh, unethical. Right. Which right. which look, I mean. If you're catching minnow, trophy minnow, catch and release <laughs> fish, then it potentially is. But um, if you're catching them to eat, which I'm a big proponent of, of like freshwater trout is some of the oh best God. food that you could eat, put in your body, especially when you're out camping with family and friends and doing stuff like this. And um, I don't know, man, I, I've just never been a, like I, I get some parts and some rivers, depending on where mm -hmm. you're at, where you need to catch and release because the population of fish. But in this case, it's like, how big was that first fish that you caught? How big was the second probably, one? The first one was probably five inches. Second one was probably seven. It wasn't even that that large. Yeah. The first one, I ate the entire damn thing, right? Yeah. Because small fish, you can eat the bones and all. How'd um, you cook it? Uh, so we Open had, fire? yeah, so we had a, we had a safety official on hand with a, with a fire extinguisher. We had a, a kind of a, I don't want to say a canned area to, to do the fire, but it was as as safe as safe could be. Um, built a small fire on a rock. I heated up that rock for about 15 minutes and then I put the fish right on the rock and then I, I finished it by putting it in the coals uh, just to crisp up the skin a little bit. And, you know, the first bite, skin and all, oh my God, it was it was absolutely incredible. Um, you know, the uh, <clears throat> later on, I had built a, uh, I had built a bird trap and I actually used the, the fish head uh, and the the spinal column of the second fish in the trap. The next morning, I found that the trap was triggered. Something got it, and I'm just assuming that whatever got to it was like a small field mouse, and it probably got through the the ribbing of the of of the trap. But you know, the whole idea is like you're constantly trying to improve your scenario. You're constantly trying to stay busy. I mean, I built a fish trap out there. Very, very low chance of success. And I it might have been like the lack of water or whatever. But on the second time that I checked it, I looked in the fish trap and I saw something wiggling. 
and I could have sworn it was a tall, a small fish, but it probably was just like a, you know, a Helgermite or some type of stone fly that was wiggling and, and my eyes were just playing tricks on me. But, uh, I'll, I'll tell you, you know, food is a constant pursuit out there. And even when you, uh, even when you, you know, don't necessarily need it for 72 hours, it's a great way of taking up a lot of the time. So you're not just, you know, thinking about, man, this really sucks. This really sucks. You're, you're trying to stay positive. The, the, um, uh, calories, you weren't mm. getting a ton of calories, but no. vitamin uh, efficiency was king because you had the supplements from Kofaru, you had some stuff off the land. Um, you had an experience where you were surrounded by doves, rabbits, oh game. Yeah. In a normal scenario, how well would you have thrived? So when I was out there, I made this slingshot and I got so bored, I was actually using it to the point where I broke the, the slingshot band. Um, you know, this is an older slingshot band I just pulled out of like a, a bin of just random kit that I have at home. And I found this branch. I was like, you know, this branch was in a forest fire three years ago. Let me see if I can make a slingshot out of it. Well, Julian was recording me shooting the slingshot. And I mean, he can attest to it. And the video will, will prove that, um, you know, I do things bass backwards when I, I shoot a slingshot. I'm right-handed. I shoot pistols right-handed, rifle, shotgun, everything right-handed. I shoot a slingshot left-handed because John Rambo was a lefty. Um, oh. And watching it as a kid, I wanted to hold my, my slingshot like Rambo, right? So uh, so I was, I was crushing water bottles with this slingshot, and I made it more just to prove the concept that it, it can work. Um, I'll still fix this up, and I'll leave it in the shop downstairs for people to, to see what, what can be made out there. But... And I you brought that, right? You brought. I brought the band, the band, and yeah. I and I've and I the salvaged cordage. the 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 fork out there. But I mean, with a good slingshot, you can kill doves, squirrels, rabbits. I mean, there were chipmunks everywhere, squirrels everywhere. Um, we actually found next to the support vehicle just a random dead squirrel that we can't even explain how it died. Julian came up to me. He's like, "Did you kill this thing?" And I'm like, "Trust me, if I killed that thing, it would have been in my stomach." But I didn't want to. And I said this before. I didn't want to kill something questionable in terms of like an open season, a closed yeah. season. Because, I mean, here's the thing. We're sportsmen in addition to being, you know, instructors here. And, you know, we want to set the good example. And I would rather suffer through a little bit of pain of like hunger pangs than to have to go through the rigmarole of being called a poacher, losing yeah. our friends in the industry that, you know, have grown to trust us. So. Yeah. What, what would you have brought differently, if anything? Oh, my God. If I could have my wish, it would have been a 22 pistol, 22 auto-loading pistol like a Buck Mark or a, a Ruger Mark II, you're not taking 100-yard shots. Most of the time, you're sneaking up on stuff and it's 15 feet away. Yeah. And you can easily, easily put food on the table. The that would change pistol. the game, right? It, instantly, instantly. Yeah. And I actually want to go back to that property during the open season and see what I can get like with just a survival rifle, yeah. you know? It'll with come a, out 20 pounds heavier. Holy God. I mean, if I had no regard for the laws... I mean, oh my God. I mean, I, it was I, that dense in wildlife. Oh, yeah. Oh really? yeah. There, I mean, people who have never tried dove, you need to try it. It's, it's absolutely fast, uh, you know, fantastic. Uh, all you have to do is just breast it out and it's amazing. But I mean, if I had my way, if, if someone was like, well, how long do you think you could have stayed out there? I'm like, to do the laws matter because I would have been damming that river. Um, there are plants in that, in that area. I don't even want to name them, but there are plants that were traditionally used to drug fish. In lower volume creeks, you put 
the entire plant, you mash it up and you put it into the water and the fish get drugged and they float to the surface. Oh, wow. Considered poaching everywhere in the country. Not allowed. Does it work? Yes. Wow. <laughs> so, yeah. Yeah, survival uh, is very different from, you know, a 72 hour challenge. Yeah. It's, it's very different. Um, but I appreciate those, those ethics. That's, I mean, conservationist is what we are. So, um, let's talk about, um, if you if you looked at that bag, yes, could you have survived without that bag? I mean, I definitely could have made a natural shelter out there. There was so much so much greenery that I could have built a lean to off the land. Um, there were a lot of already broken forked sticks with which could be used to prop up a ridge line. The water would have been tricky, um, you know, containing it. Right? Oh yeah, because. Yeah. At one point, I went down to the creek, and I've got photos of two beaver that were down there. Two beaver, and it, here's the thing: if you drink water from where there are beavers, you're probably almost 100% going to get sick. Yeah, I probably could have drank the water, and I would have gotten sick. But here's my survival advice: if you have to either be dehydrated uh, and die, or be shitting your brains out and drinking bad water, and shitting your brains out drinking bad water and live there's always a cure for that afterwards, right? Yeah. So I probably could have, um, but it felt good and it was reassuring to know that I could treat the water and then I could drink it and likely not have any issues. Yeah. Yeah. Hey, what's going on guys? This is the mid roll. Also this podcast is sponsored by Kalo. Q-A-L-O. Look, silicone rings are mandatory for guys in special operations, but also people who do things outside. If you've ever seen a hand get degloved, it's because they're using steel, titanium, which is even worse, rings. The silicone ring for the people who spend the most time outdoors, designed to be worn during all of your everyday activities, the Kalo ring is the perfect alternative for those who live in an active lifestyle. Listeners, only on this exclusive offer, get 20% off at kalo.com forward slash fieldcraft. Again, Q-A-L-O dot com forward slash philcraft kalo is an active lifestyle company that stands for quality athletics love and outdoors and these rings are designed to keep you safe from ring avulsions by breaking after exceeding a certain amount of pressure useful for firefighters police service members mechanics athletes outdoor enthusiasts travelers military personnel and so much more show your commit commitment to your spouse and your family during all of your everyday activities by going to kalo dot com forward slash philcraft and get 20 percent off all right guys back to the podcast um what what kind of environment would be oh that's, that's before we go there i don't want to go there yet i know you're trying to set me up for the next yeah, one that's I, know. Gonna be a I already hard. got it i already got it <laughs> um let's talk about your clothing and yeah. then head to toe you got it um i noticed that you had the booty cap oh yeah the booty cap is essential man mm -hmm. it, it you know, it's 360 degrees, obviously, um, covering your neck and your back. Yep. But how did that shirt fare? So the, the recce shirt was great. I used it to make an improvised backpack to carry all that water back to uh, back to camp. Um, it's just more secure than holding it in your hand and, and getting it, you know, stuck on a uh, small cacti or, or uh, you know, a thistle that could easily rip the shirt. So I put it on my back. The shirt fared well. Um, I even carried my purification tablets in the sleeve pocket because if you think about it, where we sweat from our body, it's usually like our thighs will sweat, our, our chest will sweat. We don't sweat a lot from the arms. So I carried my purification tablets up on the arm mm. and that kept the, the tablet packets from getting damp and, and uh, deteriorating. 
Uh, so I had boonie hat. I had a pair of Oakley shooting glasses on. I had a scarf, which the scarf proved invaluable um, because I would wet the scarf and I'd wear it around my head. And as I mentioned before, like breathing in the, the hot air was terrible. But when you wet the scarf and you put it around your head and when you breathe in, it almost acts like an air conditioner. Yeah. Um, so I would just do that over and over and over. And that's how I got through the days pretty easily. Um, at the second shirt was just a long sleeve cotton t-shirt. Cotton normally sucks in cold weather, but summer weather, it breathes. And for the same reason why those properties of cotton are terrible uh, in the winter because it stays wet, doesn't uh, retain any insulation properties, it's perfect for the summertime. Mm. Uh, Patagonia Capilene underwear, 511 ridge pants, um, smart wool socks, and Garmont jungle boots. And, mm. and that was it. What? How did you, uh, let's talk about hygiene. Yeah. How are you able to stay above <laughs> Um, you know, deteriorating and yep. hygiene. Yeah, and, and you brought this up in a previous podcast. I forgot which one, but I mean, we take for granted our cleanliness and cleanliness is very relative. Every night I did like a foot routine. I would dry my my, my feet off. I turn my socks inside out. I would let them dry before I would put them back on before getting into, the, into my shelter. Um, the last day, it was 99, 103, 104. It just got hotter every single time I was there. The final day I said, screw it, I'm jumping in this in this creek with everything on. And I jumped in with everything on. I, I scrubbed everything head to toe, all the, the nether regions you can imagine. Um, and even after I got out, 45 minutes, everything I had on me was dry. Everything, because it was that dry, it was that hot. So uh, the, the hygiene was, it was all about like washing my face, washing my pits, um, balls and butt, feet, right? And then just drying off and then it was fine. Like my clothes for wearing them for three days after jumping in that creek, they don't feel grungy. I'm gonna yeah. go shower properly after this. Yeah. But uh, no, I mean, I think that was important was, was a daily routine because that also broke up the monotony of just waiting around. It was like, all right, time to do my daily routine after I, I stretch out in the morning, I'm gonna go clean myself up before it gets too hot. Yeah, talking about that, what was the most difficult thing that you faced during this challenge? Just idle mind, right? Like just sitting around. I, I mean, you could sleep for like an hour. I normally don't like to take super long power naps, maybe 20 minutes, 30 minutes. So during the daytime, it's 104 degrees out and I'm just sitting there. I wish I brought a book. And you had mentioned that in the previous podcast. You're like, you should take some, you know, uh, photocopy some books and take that. I wish I took your advice because um, that was something that that drove me absolutely crazy, um, man. Uh, that was that was probably the hardest part. Was just what do you do with your time when you have so much of it? Yeah, it's it's interesting how um, a survival challenge will give you this allocation of time that you've never had, and then you realize, like, man, this is what living is, like, right? You know, living even 50 years ago mm -hmm. for, uh, you know, settlers, pioneers, um, we, we were trying to figure things out in a lot of circumstances. And when you don't have these forms of entertainment, like virtual reality, s social media, um, you, you find productive ways. And and I'm interested because um, we had a film crew there. Yes. Right? And so that broke up a lot of the monotony. Mm -hmm. But I imagine that not having a film crew and then or an intermittent film crew, and then having to self-film like the show alone Correct. would become very difficult as right. a challenge. Right, and I've heard some of the folks who have been on that show say that 
talking to the camera was almost like a like a um, confessional, you know, where you got it out to someone or something. It's the same reason why journaling is so important. It, it takes it out of what you're carrying internally and it puts it somewhere, uh, you know, tangibly on a piece of paper or in this case, digitally on, on the film that we, we recorded. Um, there were times where I was like, what am I going to do today? What am I going to do today? And then you had sent the message like, hey, you should go live. Well, going live meant going to one area that was completely exposed. And, uh, <laughs> and I was like, Mike is trying to do this to make it harder. Uh, so I'd go up there, but I actually enjoyed, you know, sitting up there, uh, even though it was like in this like rock cauldron and, you know, it was super hot. Um, I enjoyed going up there and, and talking to everyone and answering questions because, you know, it made me, it made me evaluate and kind of, uh, understand what people valued from the experience when they were like, Oh my God, that was really cool. What you did. Everyone wants to know about like, what boots are I wearing? What, what gear am I carrying? Like that was kind of cool. Um, so yeah, that broke up the, just the everyday activities. Yeah. And it's interesting how that's the most difficult element of it, right? If you're a busy <laughs> mind and that's the way you work and operate, like I don't, I don't take naps. I can't, I, I just can't bring myself to nap because I always feel like I'm occupied. You feel guilty. I feel guilty. Yeah. Like I'm like, I need to be working or doing something. Uh, and that changes everything. But it's also a good, like you said, a good reset button. Mm -hmm. You had talked about um, the next challenge, yes. which is going to be a friend of, friend of yours, right? Yes. Uh, about that. So Jerry Young is one of our assistant instructors. Uh, he's a 20 plus year law enforcement officer. He was actually a student of mine at the Wilderness Learning Center. He took every one of the courses and he he crushed it. I mean, basic course, winter course, plant course, uh, advanced survival class. Jerry was like the like the A student. He's come to Fieldcraft. He's taught CIAC. He's taught Stop the Bleed. He's teaching the advanced and uh, home defense shotgun class that we're doing. And he's going to be my AI on the uh, hunter prep class in September. Well, Jerry, when we were, I was talking to him before the, the challenge, he's like, I'm ready for this. I'm like, okay, I wasn't even sure we were doing it with anyone else, but I guess you're next. Um, and he, I, he's the type of guy that if I were to say, Jerry, you need to go in the woods with just a Swiss army knife, he would thrive. Um, Jerry is as resilient as it comes. Like I consider myself gritty. I can get by, I can, I can suck through the pain. I can ignore, I can ignore it pretty well, but Jerry, I mean, the dude is, is a stud. So we're thinking of sending him to a place that you guys choose. And we're going to hopefully put all these different locations on a board, throw a dart at it, and that might be the, the spot. Um, Is he going to do the Ziploc bag challenge or maybe the... You know, I was thinking while I was out there, because, you know, we just said we have a lot of time to think. We have the Fieldcraft Fanny Pack, right? It's got probably a little bit more capacity than the Ziploc. Um, we have a lot of things in the store that are great containers for this. We have the heavy cover mess kit. I mean, we, we have other things that we could say, Hey, that's going to be your designated survival kit. Take an Nalgene bottle, fill the Nalgene bottle. What do you got in there? Um, you know, take a small Pelican case and throw a person off a boat, you know, like yeah. I, there are so many options for this and no matter what, whether you make it 72 hours, whether you make it to 50 hours and you say, look, uh, I'm running out of food or I've got an injury. It doesn't matter. There's a learning experience in it. And we can't look at this as success and failure. You just have to look at it as what did you learn, right? That yeah. should be the first question, the first feed that you get, because that's the most important thing to remember is that this is meant for all of the listeners. Like we want to educate you guys on what makes you a more prepared version of yourself. So 
no matter what we throw at our assistant instructors on the survival side, like Austin, we're saying is going to do the toughest one. We, we have to mastermind what that tough one is going to be, but I guarantee Austin will find things that all of us can benefit from. And, uh, and I'm really looking forward to seeing how this is going to evolve. Well, we, we just put up a course, um, yesterday or the day before yesterday on a 48 hour challenge, which is kind of like a guided instructional course of taking people who have never done anything like this Mm -hmm. with guided instruction from you, from Austin, from experts. Yes. um, And we're doing that the first week of October. Yes, we are. Let's talk about that a little bit. That class is one that I am so incredibly excited for because many times people will say, what do you need to bring to the wilderness survival class? And I'm like, well, you need to bring a knife and you'd bring the, and I give a a small list and then they show up with not only that, but this entire backpack of stuff, which is cool because you want to test it out. But many times people don't know what they don't know. Many times they they show up with things that they think they need until they realize they don't. Well, this one is going to really whittle it down to here are some very, very simple essentials. We're going to make it so it's not entirely comfortable, but not impossible. And you're going to learn, well, I can get by with an emergency blanket. I would have rather have had. And then that answer will be what you carry in your usual kit. That class in October is one. It'll be 48 hours. Um, I won't say it's a two day challenge because often people think two days is, oh, I show up on Friday. We train all day, show up on Saturday and we leave Saturday night. Well, that's not 48 hours. So this is a true 48 hour challenge where you're going to show up at you know, a given time on Friday and you won't leave until Sunday. Um, and you're certainly not going to leave until we're done feeding you because the the feast, much like the one I just experienced here, is an important aspect of the celebrational learning, right? Like you're you're all getting together, you're breaking bread together. And, you know, if we can struggle together, we can eat together. You want to hear your next challenge? Oh shit. <laughs> I literally just made it up while I was sitting here and I was hearing you talk. So um we have a property in Montana. Yes. And it's hot in Montana, but not as not as hot here. But there's this piece of property has a lot on it, man. And and I actually think um, there might be a gaming opportunity because okay. we'll, we'll look into that. But here's the challenge. You, Ricky, one bag, 72 hours. Okay. That's it. And it's going to happen in the next 30 days. <laughs> <laughs> That's it. That's Man. the mission. I, I I will give you a mission statement, and that's the mission. But I this this will be the 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 big challenge is the temperature swings. Correct. Right, because you're looking at forty degree plus temperature swings because of the elevation, but also because of the the terrain and location in the U.S. But lots of hardwoods, lots of water, lots of uh, game potential. But um, that's why it's got to be more challenging. So an, a novice who's Ricky mm-hmm. does nothing about survival um, with an expert, but then you got to share the bag. <laughs> Jeez. And then and then you know we have the crew, which will you know we'll make sure the crew is standoffed, mm-hmm. so you guys could self film. But in this, I already know the place because I've been there. The exact location overwatches everything. You can have 5G LTE on top of this location because it overwatches um, some of the most beautiful countryside in the United States. I'm going to contact a buddy of mine to get approval for that. And then the the camera crew could be offset and we could just get you at periodic times, but you could self-film with GoPros. Okay. It's going to be amazing, man. 
All right. It's either going to be amazing or it's going to be a big suck fest. But either way, it'll be fun. Yeah. I, for that one, I would say that the the biggest concern would be the temperature swing. Yeah. Um, I mean, there's always three men in a fight. There's you, your opponent, and the environment. And I'll tell you that that... I mean, if it's 70 and it swings 40 degrees, I mean, that's, yeah, that's going to be bad. You and Ricky, you're going to be really close. <laughs> you, you'll be besties coming out. Um, I'm excited, man. Uh, this has been really cool because um, we, we documented the before and after and during, but we have uh, a great video that's been put together with content filming this whole experience. Yes. Uh, we're doing a little bit of cleaning that up today so we could drop it as soon as possible but that's going to be able to educate more people. And that's what this is all about. It's just the experience and living it so that we could become better trainers and teachers and educators. And that's what you do. I mean, I, I'm uh, any, any closing thoughts. I think one of the most important things for people to remember is, uh, it's an expression that I've, I've said before comparisons, a thief of joy, you know, a lot of folks out there will probably say, well, I could never do that. And I would say, don't focus on what you can't do. I'd say, focus on what you can do and how you can get slightly better from one day to the next. I mean, a lot of this wouldn't be possible if it weren't for great instruction along the way, if it weren't for great tutors and mentors that I've had. And I know there are some people out there that have never, ever, ever had someone say, this is how you do it the right way, right? And often in the survival industry, you get a lot of these guys who are self-proclaimed gurus and they're like, well, if you don't do it this way, I can't be, I can't be around you. And it's very standoffish. What I would tell people to do and what I would recommend is take something that you're uncomfortable with and work one step closer to that every single day. Um, it's very easy to say, well, I just, I want to do that or to lie about it and say, well, you know, you know, I could do that without confronting it and truly testing your, your capability. Um, I would say, don't look at me so much, uh, as like, Hey, I want to be just like him within a short time, put realistic expectations and time frames on your skill sets and make yourself better every single day. Read a book, get edible plant books, um, learn new knots, right? You get stuck in traffic. It's standstill for hours, have paracord in your car with a knot book. You can always, always be a better version of yourself. Um, and you should never, ever stop learning. That's a great way to end it, man. Thanks so much, Kevin Estella. Thanks, Mike.